0: Take your Bible this morning again to the book of James, would you please? James chapter four. I'm glad to be with you. And my name is Dave Young and I'm glad we uh, have these few days together and I hope you'll get to know each other a little bit. I'm uh, sorry that my family's not here in the summer months now that I have college kids. My wife takes the summer off and stays home so she can invest in our college kids throughout the summer and that's a treat for her. It just means I have to travel without her and I'm really sorry about that. I have five kids. Uh, Two in college, one in high school, one in junior high, one in elementary school, and uh, we normally travel all the time together. We've been all over the country. We have a 40-foot RV that we take when we're on the road, and uh, when I'm home, I live in Milton, Florida. That's next door to Pensacola, Florida, and uh, we've been there about almost five years now, so I love that area, and I love serving the Lord. I think I've been home about two or three weeks this year, so it's been a busy year, but I'm delighted and thrilled and excited. About our time together with you this week, I have been praying about it, and I was disappointed that Pastor didn't have a cool car to let me drive this week. So I was hoping he had, tra- you know, kind of traded that Dodge in on a Corvette. That's what's my prayer, and uh, so I'm just out of luck all the way around. Mike himself is on my team. He and I have been together traveling and evangelism for almost four years now. He'll be speaking to your children, to your teenagers through the week. And one of my favorite people in all the world, a man I'm very thankful for. If you haven't yet met him, let me introduce him to you. Micah, just stand briefly so they know who you are. He'll be preaching to your boys and girls. And bring your kids and moms and dads. I just got some bad news for you. If you bring your kids tonight and they go to his class, you'll have to come back tomorrow night. And either that or feel very unspiritual when you tell your kids, No, we are not going to church. And So it'll be a great week. We're anticipating the Lord doing some very special things. Don't miss any service. I'm not a long-winded preacher. I uh, seldom, seldom preach over a couple hours, and uh, so it, uh, it won't be long services necessarily. Uh, I do try to be wise about that. We don't want to be so, you know, short that the Lord is hindered, but we don't want to tarry and uh, everybody else be hindered either. And so pray about that, and uh, do two things in the week, will you? Uh, work harder than you've worked in a while. Work harder. How long has it been since you really, really put forth an effort to try to get somebody saved? Would you work harder this week? In our revival in Michigan just a few weeks ago, a man uh, took my challenge on that and he said, you know, there's a guy I spoke to 12 years ago and I talked to him and talked to him and gave up. Just decided, well, he's not going to get saved and haven't talked to him in 12 years about it. But he said, I'm going to. You said to work harder so it wouldn't hurt to try one more time. He went to the guy's house and this older man in his 70s got saved. And so work harder like that. Maybe it's a family member that you haven't witnessed to in a long time. And maybe God's ready. Maybe they're ready for God to work in their heart. So work harder and then pray extra. Could you do that? Uh, Pray extra. Before you go to bed tonight, pray as a family. Before you go to work in the morning, pray with your wife. Uh, Maybe take a few moments to kneel on your lunch break. Just pray extra. Uh, I believe God's able to do great things, don't you? And we ought to expect God to. Teenagers, take me up on that. There's a teenager in your neighborhood, needs somebody to love them and win them to Jesus. And this week, you could see a teenager saved. And uh, pray extra, pray extra this week. Kneel beside your bed. uh, Take some time during the day to pray, and let's expect the Lord to do some great things. If you were in the Sunday school hour, raise your hand, would you please? So you've already heard a little bit of introduction to the book of James. James wrote this book. That's a surprise, isn't it? That's why it's called James. And uh, James, the author of this book, was the half-brother of Jesus, humanly speaking. His mother is Mary. Uh, Mary uh, Mary had uh, Jesus and other kids, and James is one of them. James pastored the church in Jerusalem, a a miracle church. Hundreds and hundreds of people got saved because of the work in Jerusalem. The gospel was sent around the world, literally. And God used that church in Jerusalem in a mighty, mighty way. Any church that could see God doing their church, what God did in Jerusalem would be a successful church. It was a great church. However, persecution came to the church, and I mentioned this in Sunday school, so forgive the repeat. when persecution came, they were scattered abroad. Believers in James 's church now live in many of the cities of the early uh, history that you would read about in your Bible. People fled to Thyatira, Thessalonica, and Antioch. They literally fled to get away from the persecution. Our enemy intended to destroy the church by persecuting it. And what the enemy didn't realize was that when believers fled the persecution, now there would be witnesses in cities all over the known world of the first century. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail. It always does because it's God's church and now James is writing to these believers if you were to read the first verse of the first chapter it says James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting so he starts out by telling us he's writing to people that were in his church that no longer in his church because they had to flee he's writing to them because it's the first century church Jesus only in recent years has been raised from the dead and gone back to heaven, and yet this church was already in need of revival. Already. It's all kinds of reasons we know it. One was that the Word of God, the Word of God was no longer changing their lives, which is why James said to them, he said, don't you be hearers only, be doers of the Word of God. You and I can sit in Fundamental Baptist Church in 2016 and hear the Word of God, and it make almost no difference at all in our home. We can hear the Word of God and it not change our lives. So we need help. We need wisdom. We need discernment. So uh, they needed revival. That's obvious because of the way they were treating the Bible, because of their prayer lives. If you were in Sunday school, you finished this verse for me. Remember what James said? You have not because... Some of them did pray, but they couldn't get their prayers answered because you asked and receive not because ye ask commission. Y'all know those verses? This was a church needing revival. They were worldly. I'll come back to that in a moment in my sermon this morning. They were worldly. He says in, in, in James 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? They had a problem with prejudice. Isn't it sad that we live in 2016 in the United States of America and this is still a problem? Come on, isn't that sad? If anybody ought to get it right, it ought to be the church. Talk, talk, talk to me. If anybody ought to get it right, it ought to be the church. The government shouldn't have to pass laws about stuff like that. The church ought to be the leader in that. This early church, they, their discrimination, their prejudice was about people of wealth and people who were poor. If you were wealthy, they honored you. If you were poor, they, they relegated you to a backseat. They wouldn't let you sit up front. They were prejudiced. It's always a sad thing when a church is prejudiced. There's no place for that. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. Every color. Every nationality. Every, every, everybody needs Jesus. Are y'all with me on that? I don't need to park there too long, do I? Everybody needs Jesus. And so here's a church that needed revival. So in the Sunday school hour, I talked to you about the plan a plan for revival from James 1. Now I'm in James chapter 4 and I want to take the Sunday morning service today to give you a promise for revival. We had a plan for revival. Really this is the key verse in the book of James in my opinion. It's James 4 and verse 8. How many of you have it? Do you have it? Say Amen. All right. Here's what your Bible says. One sentence is all I'm going to read in James 4.8. The Bible says these words, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you, James four eight. Simple verse, isn't it? You could probably memorize it in just a moment. So simple. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. That's a promise. It's the Word of God. It's truth. You draw nigh to God, He will. Draw nigh to you. Let's memorize it now. Y'all ready? Nobody here but us. It's Sunday morning. We got time. Let's memorize it. We'll give the reference. We'll say James 4, 8. Say that first sentence and then say James 4, 8. Y'all ready? All right, here we go together. James 4:8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. James 4, 8. Now, I want you to go a little bit further than what you just did. Now, I want you to feel it. You know what I mean by that? I know we're Baptists. We don't feel much. But uh, let's, uh, let's feel it. Let's put some feeling to it, all right? Don't just say, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you, James 4.8. I, w- I want you to feel it. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Mean it, okay? That's what I mean, all right? Y'all ready? Let's do it. James 4.8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you, James 4.8. Now, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your needs are. But I can promise you this this morning. You can have revival. You can. Here's a promise. Here's a church that needed revival. And God promises them, draw nigh to me. And I will draw nigh to you. You know about relationships, don't you? How many of you are married? Can I see your head? How many of you have children? Can I see your head? How many of you have parents? That should be the rest of you. Can I see your head? Everybody, everybody, everybody has relationships. And in relationships, there's one thing we know. Relationships can have problems. Am I right or wrong? Marriages can. Parents can. Children can. Have you ever noticed in your marriage, a lot of you are married, aren't you? Have you ever noticed in your marriage that when you have a problem, it's almost always two-sided? You ever notice that? You have a problem and you think, for crying out loud, what is wrong with her? But when it's all said and done, what do you do? You have to apologize. And so does she. Are you all that weird or is that just me and my wife? It's amazing how often my wife is wrong. Because I am. It's true, it goes both ways. Relationships almost always in our culture, in our situation as humans are two-sided. In fact, I think they almost always are. There's always wrong on both sides. You've heard that, haven't you? You've got to hear both sides of the story. We have relationship. You know, there's one relationship I have where that is never, never the case. In my relationship to God, when things are wrong, it's always one-sided. God's never one time had to apologize to me because he was wrong. But I can tell you I've had to go to him many times and say, I'm wrong. And so James comes along and says, you know, if you're going to have revival, the one relationship you've got to work on above all others, first and foremost, is your relationship to God. And God wants you to know that he's for that. He wants to be close to you. Isn't that, encur- isn't that, isn't that encouraging? God wants to be close to you. He wants. He wants to be near to you. He wants... He wants to walk with you and know you and have a relationship with you. He wants you to be close to him. So he invites you to draw near. Come on. He says, come on, draw, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That truth is taught throughout the Bible. In Zechariah, Zechariah one three. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. Malachi 3.7, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. And in James 4.8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's a revival promise. So you can have revival. Is there a problem in your family? Get to God. You have a problem in your marriage? Get to God. You cold? Far from God? Calloused? Unspiritual? Struggling with an addiction? Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Micah and I have a friend in Moody, Alabama named Don Jennings. Donald Jennings is one of my loyal friends. Pastor, everybody ought to have a friend like Donald Jennings. He's just loyal to me. He's a pastor... Tiny church, good old boy, country boy. I preached one Sunday morning from this passage, from this verse. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And after the service, Brother Jennings said to his little congregation, he said, you know something, church, that's the truth. He said, you know what that verse means? He said, you lean toward God, he'll walk toward you. He said, you walk toward God, he'll run to you. He said, You run toward God, He'll fly to you. And I'll never forget this. He said, You fly to God, you know what He'll do? He said, He'll hug your neck. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say it necessarily like that, but man, I've never forgotten it. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging and incredible? You draw nigh to God. Are you far from God today? You need revival in your heart and your whole Been a long time since you've been a soul winner and gotten your prayers answered, don't have the prayer life you ought to have, and your family's struggling. Uh, you got an addiction in your life. You don't have the joy of the Lord. You're hard to get along with, irritated, grouchy, harsh, just bothered all the time, on edge, just unhappy. You know what you need? You need to get to God. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. There's three, three thoughts in this little verse. It's so simple, I almost feel awkward giving it to you. Here's the first one. Apparently, you can draw away from God. Would that make sense? If the command here, the challenge is get near to God, apparently there can be times in your life when you're not near to God. When something has happened in your life, you don't love him the way you used to, you're not on fire the way you used to be, you don't have a a soul winning heart, you're not right with God, you're not on fire. The fact of the matter is you can draw away from God. How many of you have ever experienced that? How many of you know somebody else that you've seen that happen in their life? Don't you know somebody that at one time served the Lord, had joy, and victory, and the power of God in their life? and They were a happy Christian. And something happened. Something happened. You know believers that likely are as saved as you and I are. They, they, you know people that likely are as saved as you and I are and they're not even really serving the Lord this morning because something happened that drew them away from God. happens in teenagers' lives. Teenagers, you know the devil will take your iPhone or your your Android and get you addicted to pornography because he wants to draw you away from God. That's not just a teenage thing. That might be a man in this room who's in his 50s. The devil's a master at drawing drawing us away from God, isn't he? There was a time when some of you were soul winners. Goodness, you were soul winners. You gave out tracts. You, you witnessed everybody you met. It's been years since some of you have done that because you've drawn away from God. There's a time you prayed in your family. There's a time you and your family prayed every day together. and Your kids were happy and you had the joy of the Lord in your life. You, you, you loved Jesus and everybody knew it. It's been a long time for some of you since that was true in your life because you've drawn away from God. And here's, here's the truth. You can draw away from God. James addresses at least four ways you can do it. Do I have have time to give you all four? James James addresses four ways. You're in James. Go to chapter 1 for a moment. Go to chapter 1. Look in James chapter 1. He addresses four ways. Two of them are in chapter 1. Look look in chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. Chapter 1 verse 2. James says, my brethren. Now nobody here but us this morning. Talk to me. When James says brethren, is he talking to those who are lost? Those who are not saved or those who are saved. So how many of you are saved? So he's addressing you. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Verse 3, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Did you know that one of the ways you can draw away from God is through what I believe he's addressing right here. I call it, the events of life, the diverse temptations, the trying of your faith. What verse uh, 4 says, says—a uh, patience having her perfect work. Did you know that the events of your life can cool your love for Jesus and get you down and discouraged and far from God? Did you know that? The, a situation in your life, a circumstance. A problem in your background can draw you away from God. It happens often in our lives, doesn't it? You can sit in a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and yet be away from God because of some situation in your life. It's resulted in bitterness or resentment or hurt feelings or anger. How many of you are aware of the fact that the events of life can do great damage to your heart? You aware of that? The loss of somebody you love. The loss of a job. A prayer that didn't get answered. A circumstance that caught you off guard and stole your joy and took you away from the Lord. Circumstances can be brutal, can't they? My wife and I are very blessed. We have five wonderful children. They're a work in progress, so they're not perfect, so don't misunderstand me, but we are we're, we're, we're just amazingly blessed. We have a happy home. Beth and I are in love. And that's the truth. That's my best friend. And I'm in love with her. We go on a date. We try to go on a date every week together. And we, we have coffee every afternoon together. When I'm home, we sit down every afternoon. We have coffee. We talk. I'm in love. That's my best friend. I'm in love with her. I'm a blessed man. So we're, we're not complaining. We're blessed. We always wanted a large family. That was our goal. We we just did. I I don't know why. I mean, I have three in my family. I got a sister and a brother, and my wife has a sister. But we only have three in our family. But my wife and I, we got married. We thought, you know what would be great? It would just be great if we could have a huge family. We just have, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten kids. I mean, honestly, after you've had two, you're outnumbered. I thought to myself, can't afford the ones I have, so what's one more? Somebody said, what would you do with them? Who cares? We'd enjoy them. we have fun. The Bible does say, happy is the man whose quiver is full. So I thought, maybe it means it. Maybe the more kids you have, the happier you'll be. And I, I kind of feel that way. I'm pretty happy. I got five, and I'm a happy man. I, I'm just telling you, I just love life. I just love it. It's, it's a blessing. I love it. Yesterday, my wife texted me yesterday. My little girl was working on something in the house, and in, my little girl, she's seven, she said to my wife, She said, I wish Daddy were here. She said, he would be so inspired. And then she said to my wife, and I don't even know what that means. (laughs) So I'm a happy man. Goodness, I'm a happy man. We wanted a big family. Bring it on. And, And yet that wasn't God's plan. Twice in our marriage, we've had little ones that were born that did not live. Little ones, born, and didn't live. Why? I don't know. There is not an answer that's ever satisfied my heart. I remember the first time my wife and I wanted this baby so badly and God gave it to us and, and it wasn't alive. And my wife and I had to wrestle in our heart. Are we going to let this circumstance bring bitterness and resentment and anger? Or are we going to let this circumstance draw us closer to God? I don't tell you that story to evoke your emotions as much as I'm telling you that story to tell you that the events of life can hurt. But every circumstance in your life will either draw you closer to God or pull you away. So James says these people here, one of the reasons he says you're possibly and potentially far from God is because of the events of life. Every situation in your life is a potential for you to have a damaged relationship with God or a better relationship with God. Are y'all with me this morning? The events of life can do it. How much time do I have? The events of life can do it. Look in James chapter 1 at verses 14, 15 and 16. Would you, would you agree that... Um, the uh, enticement of sin can draw you away from God. Look what he says, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every man is tempted. You know that truth? Is that right or wrong in your life? Every man is tempted. Are you right? You're you're aware of that, aren't you? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. When lust in my heart draws me towards sin, what's going to happen is it's going to bring forth, in verse 15, death, which is the Bible phrase that means separation. It doesn't mean that when I sin, I'm going to die, though there is a truth, there is a side of that. The point here is that it's drawing me away from God. You cannot serve pornography and be close to God. Does that make sense? You cannot be rebellious and be angry and bitter and harsh and irritated and hard to get along with and always on edge and a worrier and frustrated all the time. You you cannot be angry at your spouse and, and angry at your children. You cannot live in sin and be close to God. So your enemy is a master. He's a master at drawing you away from God. He'll use the events of life. He'll use the enticement of sin. And if you notice how subtle it is? When it comes to sin in our life, are you all this way? When it comes to sin in your life, the devil rarely does it overnight. He does it over a course of years sometimes. he Just draws him. You know what I, this is, this is a silly illustration perhaps. When I, when I was a kid, my dad went to revival service on a Monday night, and my dad got saved. So it was a Monday night, I was in kindergarten in a revival campaign, my dad's from the mountains of East Tennessee, he's a country boy, he doesn't have a high school diploma, he's, he's just, he's an uneducated man, uh, but one of the hardest working, wisest men I know. He's quiet, he's, he doesn't say a lot, certainly not publicly. In kindergarten, we're sitting halfway back in a Monday night revival service, the evangelist preached how to be saved, gave the invitation. And my dad stood up and interrupted the invitation, I'll never forget, so uncharacteristic. In the middle of the invitation, everybody's got their heads bowed nice clothes, you know, that's how we do it. And my dad stood up and he said, excuse me. And you know, now nobody really has their heads bowed in nice clothes and those who do are faking it, you know. They're like, what in the world is going on? You know, are all looking around. And my dad, I remember, I was just a kid, and I looked at the evangelist, he's like, you know, because he's a little unsure, what's happening here? And my dad said, I want to get saved. Can I do it right now? And the evangelist was a little more dumbfounded. And yeah, so my dad did. Now that evangelist, while he was preaching that night, he said, he said in his sermon, I was in kindergarten, that's been years ago, but I still remember it. He said, shame on you if you have one of them visions." How many of older folks ever heard the preachers preach that you shouldn't have one? You remember that? This evangelist preached that it was wrong to own a television. He called it a hell I'll always, I didn't care about it, I remember that. I mean, y'all, honestly, y'all remember that? You remember that happened in your life, some of you, don't know, you? Yeah? And so my dad got saved. That, you know what my dad did that night? That night, my dad went home. He skipped baptism, church membership, read your Bible every day, have a prayer life, be a soul winner. My dad went straight to the throw away your television step. He didn't even get baptized. He went home and threw away our TV. He didn't even join the church. Went home and threw away our television. I grew up without a TV and turned out fairly normal. Can you believe that? I didn't know how to say Doritos. I thought they were Doritos. Because I learned phonics. My sister... My sister went to the store when we were kids and said to this guy, y'all have any of them Doritos? <laughs> and the guy said, we got any what? And, and he goes, you mean Doritos? So see, there were things we didn't know. We grew up without a TV. Now, here's why I tell you that story. Do you, remember, do you remember how careful we were at one time about Hollywood entertainment? Do you remember that? Bad word on our television? Are you kidding me? Click. Turn that off. Except back then it wasn't a, it was a turn that off. Or it was a son, turn that off. Right? Y'all remember that. Notice how subtle sin can be in our lives. We're way down the road now, some of you, 30 years. And this week somebody on your television said the word damn and you didn't even turn it off. Isn't it amazing how our enemy is subtle? I'm amazed at how many Christian families all sit in their living room when I'm talking to them with the television on, and the commercials are filthy, and we don't even look away anymore, let alone turn it off. You know what's happened in our generation? We've come a long way and drawing away from God. I'm not saying you're wrong for having a television. I own one. I don't have it hooked up to cable or satellite or an antenna, but we watch stuff. Brother Self introduced us to VidAngel and and that's been a blessing in our family. So there's things we can watch because you can block all kinds of stuff and it tells you every detail and we go through it by detail. We, and we we can block out every word. You you can take out anything. It's there. There's ways in our generation that you can be entertained without being wrong. But most folks don't care one way or the other anymore. Sin, the enticement of sin, draws us away from God in our generation. It can be our satellite TV. It could be sometimes it can just be a heart map. In our generation, we excuse our sin. Well, I just, I'm just angry. That's just how I am. Yeah, I know I'm harsh, but I'm just telling you I'm the man of this house. And we're not close to God because we got sin all over our lives. James addresses four areas where you could draw away from God. The events of life, the enticement of sin. Chapter 4 and verse, uh, verse 4, the, um, the enmity of worldliness. Uh, There it is in your text. It's just above the verse I read to you, and we memorize verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Worldliness draws us away from God, doesn't it? And it's easy for us in our fundamental Baptist church to say, Well, I'm not worldly for crying out loud. I got music standards and dress standards. I got more standards than anybody that's ever lived. And yet have a heart that's far from God. Because worldliness, worldliness can be in your heart even though you have all the standards. Am I right or wrong? Do you know anybody that's as strict as the day is long, but they're a jerk at home? Would they be worldly? Do you know anybody? Man, they got all the standards. They dot every I, cross every T. Man, they look good, but their heart's just full of judgment and criticism and resentment and bitterness. It's worldliness. Worldliness is a heart matter. You can see that, can't you? That worldliness is a matter of the heart. We have a friend, in fact, he texted me just a few moments before church this morning, and he told me he was praying for our services here today. His name's Mark, pastor's in Pennsylvania. Mark told Mike and I the last time, told Mike and me the last time we were there about his mom and dad. When his mom and dad got saved, they were hippies. Y'all remember that? Were you ever a hippie pastor? You're a little older than I am. Never was? That's probably what I figured. (laughs) Boy, I could see that. Um, (laughs) So, his parents were hippies, and they came to Jesus and got saved. Started going to a fundamental church and growing in the Lord. And his mom, his mom, they didn't know anything about the Bible, just they knew Jesus now. And His mom came to church one Sunday morning as she's growing in the Lord, and she noticed that most of the ladies in the church were wearing a dress to church. And so Mark said, his mom on the way home said to her husband, uh, that, you know, a lot of the ladies wear dresses to church, and, and uh, so it kind of must be the thing to do. So she said, I'm going to wear a dress next Sunday. She only had one. So the next Sunday morning, she put her dress on to come to church, and she wore the skimpiest miniskirt you have ever seen in your life to go to church. And, you know, I heard that story. Mike and I were talking about that. I was telling a guy we had met that story because it was fresh in our memory. And this guy, he made a statement. I'd never forgotten it. And I said, she wore that miniskirt because she is trying to please the Lord. And he said, don't you think the Lord was pleased? Because the Lord looks at our heart first and foremost. The Lord looked at her heart. Obviously, she is immodest. Obviously, she's got some growing yet to do. But in her heart, she had on a skirt she wanted to please the Lord. Can you see what I'm trying to say here? You can have all the standards in the world and things be wrong in your heart. And the Bible calls it worldliness. You all with me this morning? How are you doing? You can draw away from God. You can. You and I can be in a church like this on a Sunday morning and not be close to God. God. Because of the events of life, or the enticement of sin, or the enmity of worldliness, I'm, I'm out of time here. Just in a moment, so let me just quote you the verses. James says, he said, um, uh, well, I might have to read it. Let me, let me just do it because I, I, I missed the quote there. James says, "Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away." Then he says, go to now, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell again. You all know those verses? There's one more way you can draw away from God, and it's the error of busyness. It's not wrong to buy and sell and get gain and make a living and work and do all of those things. That's a good thing. Your Bible still says if a man won't work, he ought not to what." So it's not wrong to work and make a living. But James says to them, go to now, which is an old King James phrase that means stop it. Stop it. What do you mean you're running around making a living and making plans and trying to make money? What's wrong with you? Stop it, he says. Well, wait a minute, James. It's not wrong to make a living, is it? Well, obviously not, because then that would mean the Bible would, would be contradictory there. James, what are you trying to say? You know what James is trying to say? One of the dangers of our lives is we get so busy planning, living, making a living, running to work, running to work, making money, making money, making money, paying bills, making money, buying houses and cars and going shopping. And we're so busy, 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 running and running and running and going and going and going and going and going that we're no longer even close to God. There's folks in this room, you come to church every Sunday morning, but you're so busy you never read your Bible. Yeah, you got a nice house, don't you? Got a nice house. Two of you living in that house with five bathrooms. This car's getting older now. Goodness, it's got 40,000 miles on it. I probably ought to get a new one. It's our generation. It's how we think in America. And we're so busy and so in debt. We have no time to pray because we're farther from God than we think we are. Church at Laodicea was that way. Church at Laodicea said, "Yay, we're doing fine, we're rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. That startles me that their, their evaluation of themselves was, we're great. And the Lord Jesus says, you don't even know that actually you're blind, miserable, wretched, and naked. I ask you a question before I give you two more thoughts and I'm done. Do you suppose we could sit in a Sunday morning service at Southeast Baptist Tabernacle and be farther from God than we think we are? So here's a promise Draw an eye to God, and He will draw an eye to you. So you can draw away from God. Secondly, you can draw near to God. You can. Say, Dave, you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't, but there's a God in heaven that says, Come on. Come to me. Say, Dave, I, our families, uh, There's probably no answer for the mess of our family. I, I don't know the answer, perhaps, but I do know this. You can get to God. Draw a night of God. You can. Draw a night of God. You can. Are you in James 4? Are you in James 4? Notice if you are in James 4 that he tells us several essential ingredients if we're going to draw nigh to God. Look, for instance, at verse 6. Do you see verse 6? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what it's going to take if I'm going to draw nigh to God and have revival? Humility. Uh, Think of the word brokenness, maybe. Does that give you a glimpse? Humility. When's the last time in your life you said God? Things aren't right between me and you, are they? When's the last time you humbled yourself and said, "Lord, I goodness, I'm not right. I'm not. I'm not as close to you as I was. I'm not a soul winner." God resisteth the proud. Now tell me, tell me straight up. Nobody ever does. I don't want God to resist me. Are you with me on that? I want God to be on my side. So I got to humble myself. That's step one. I got to humble myself. Look in your text. It starts with humility. Then look at verse 8. Or no, no, verse 7. It, it continues with submission. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the idea of submission. You watching me? You're right, Lord. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't have a heart for souls. I'm angry, bitter, harsh, I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I'm sorry. Humility and submission almost are the same words, it seems like. Look in verse 8. Draw out to God, He'll draw out to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your heart. she double-minded. Notice He's not talking to an unbeliever here. He said in the early verses I read to you, I'm talking to you, my brothers and sisters. You got to cleanse your hands. You got to purify your hearts. What's wrong in my life and yours? Why is it that there's no revival? Why are we not seeing people saved? Why are our families not on fire for the Lord? Why is it that we're not turning the world upside down with the technology of this generation, with the opportunities that we have? What's wrong? We got to examine our lives and say, Lord, am I right with you? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Look in the last verse of chapter 4. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not takes obedience, submission, humility, cleansing. It takes obedience. I've got to obey the Lord. Uh, You can draw away from God. Are y'all with me on that one or not? Does that make sense? You can draw near to God. Y'all see that one? I'm out of time. I give you one more thought. He will draw near to you. It's true. You lean towards God. He'll walk towards you. It's true. Walk towards God. He'll run to you. It's true. Run to God. He'll fly to you. It's true. You fly to God. He'll hug your neck. That's true. Do you believe God loves you? Teenagers, do you believe that? Singles, do you believe God loves you? Moms and dads, do you believe that God cares about you, that he genuinely... You know what we tend to think in our Christianity for some reason? God's out there, and he's holy, and and I'm way down here. But isn't it true that the Bible teaches that God's not a God of far off. He's a God close at hand, near. Daddy, you can I ask you a minute question? When's the last time you were really genuinely close to God? I'm talking close. He loved you and you loved him and you were walking with him and you had peace and joy and his favor and blessing in your life and all was well spiritually. How long has that been in your life? Ladies, let me just ask that same question to you. How about you, ladies? How long has it been since you were really, really close to God, really near had his blessing and favor and joy and peace in your life. I ask you teenagers, how about it, teens? How about it? How long has it been since God was real in your life? Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. I said to you, he's a great God. He's loving and gentle and kind and quick to forgive. He's wonderful. (laughs) Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. That's revival, isn't it? I just get back to God. Somebody's got to get back to praying again. Somebody's got to get back to soul winning again. Somebody's got to get back to being more careful about your television. Somebody, somebody's got to get back to having a, a faithfulness to God. Somebody's, somebody's got to go to a brother or sister, a husband, a wife, a son or daughter and just flat out say, and I was wrong and I fail and I'm sorry and I didn't do you right and would you forgive me and give me mercy and grace as I seek the Lord so that I can be a better Christian. You draw not to God, He'll draw not to you. But you're the key. You are the key. You are the key. You get the impression, don't you? You ever heard people like this say this? You know, revival is the act of a sovereign God. God can do whatever He wants to do. Sometimes He sends revival and sometimes He doesn't. He might. I read one evangelist who wrote a book on revival, and here's what he said in one of his chapters. He said, you know what? You can pray for revival. You can seek God for revival. You can look for revival. You can do everything the Bible says you ought to do for revival. But whether or not it comes is based on whether or not God sovereignly decides to give it to you. Now, I would not offend my brother, and I wouldn't offend you, but I want to tell you, according to the word of God, there is absolutely nothing farther from the truth. Draw nigh to God, and he might send you revival. Draw nigh to God, and He'll think about in His sovereignty whether or not He'll draw near to you. Nothing's further from the truth. Here's a Bible promise: Draw nigh to God, and He will. Can you make it any more simple than that? He will. For me, mm-hmm. for you, yes. For our churches, sure. Really? Well, is the Bible true or not? Draw nigh to God! He will, He will, He will, He will, He will, He will! He will! Why do I keep traveling and saying, in a world that seems like it's falling apart? We can have revival! Because my Bible says, draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. That's why I still go to churches like yours, And say, let's seek God for revival. Let's pray. Let's change our lives. Let's humble ourselves. Let's submit to God. Let's cleanse our hands. Let's purify our hearts. Let's obey God because you do it, He will. Do you believe that, church? So why no revival? Oh, because apparently something's wrong on our side. Why no revival? Oh, something's got to change with me. Because God is ready and willing and very well able to send the revival that we need. Start it with you, okay? What time is it? Seven minutes afternoon. So I'm done. How are you doing? Need to draw a knight to God again? Somebody here, you're a good Christian, aren't you? But the Spirit of God is saying, it's got to start with you. Somebody in the building, Sunday morning, and I'm not even sure why you came to church today. Maybe you don't even know, but you're saved just like I am, but you're far from God. It's been a long time since you even tried to be close to God. This is a revival service for you. This is a revival service for you. God's inviting you to start over. Bethley is my wife. Her dad was my pastor for 18 years. He's retired now. He has Parkinson's and another disease. And his health is failing. He's my prayer partner. Prays for me religiously. And Bethley's dad said this every New Year's. Church, don't you know God is a God of new beginnings? He always lets us start over. I thought about what he said. Every year is a new beginning. And I thought, you know what? God does better than that. Because 12 times a year, he gives us a brand new month. That's a brand new beginning. He does better than that. Every seven days is a brand new week. He gives us a brand new beginning. He does better than that. Every morning, the sun comes up. It's a new day. Great is thy faithfulness. Thy mercies are new every morning. New beginning. He does better than that. No matter where you are, no matter the time, you start drawing nigh to God and he'll give you a brand new beginning. Isn't that incredible? Now I've preached to the church. I've preached to the church. But it wouldn't be right for me to close my sermon this morning without taking just a moment to inquire about your soul. This is a verse for those of us who are Christians. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. But if you don't know that you're on your way to heaven, you could also apply this verse to your life. Because I will tell you this morning that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. And although you're a sinner and you'll never get to heaven on your own, there's a God in heaven who through Jesus Christ offers you eternal life. And if you're not on your way to heaven this morning, you draw nigh to God and he'll, he'll save your soul. You look to Jesus, believe on Jesus, trust in Jesus. He'll wash away your sins and give you everlasting life. He will. He loves you. If you're not saved today, you're not a Christian, you're not on your way to heaven, I introduce you to Jesus Christ. He died for you. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He's paid your sin debt. Just like the choir sang just a moment ago, Jesus paid it all. He did it all. All I can do is come to Jesus. And if you'll come to Jesus today, you'll find out that He's a wonderful Savior who can rescue you from sin and from hell and give you everlasting life. You meet us at the front if you'd like. Micah self, the so evangelist here on the front row, he can kneel with you here at the front and pray with you if you want him to. He can come back to your seat and pray with you if you want him to. Everybody ought to be saved. And if you don't know Jesus, I hope you will. Thank you for listening this morning. Draw nigh to God and heal what, church? Draw nigh to you. Do you believe it? Yeah. Then let's obey it. Let's stand together, shall we? Heads are about, eyes are closed now.